In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. We start our meditation today with uh, a passage from today's Gospel, which is from St. Luke. And you can tell right away it's from St. Luke because uh, he talks about Jerusalem. St. Luke always talks about Jerusalem. Always, right? Because uh, at the end of a passage, he says, and Jesus went on to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was his goal. Jerusalem was where he was going. And on the way, well, he would, uh, he would do a number of miracles, he would do healings and stuff, but he was always on his way to Jerusalem, always. And uh, because, of course, we know in Jerusalem he's going to be facing his passion, his death and his resurrection. So everything that happens in Luke is has its end point, the summit, always Jerusalem. And, but th- today's gospel is a key point because, of course, what is in Jerusalem is the temple. The temple that had been built by Solomon, a place of prayer. And uh, Jesus enters into the temple. And this is what St. Luke tells us. It's a very short passage in today's gospel. Jesus entered the temple area and proceeded to drive out those who were selling things, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. And every day he was teaching in the temple area. The chief priests scribes and leaders of the people meanwhile were seeking to put him to death but they could find no way to accomplish their purpose because all the people were hanging on his words they were hanging on his words they were like tell us more but of course the key phrase here is my house shall be a house of prayer you have made it into a house of thieves or a den of thieves he was of course quoting there from Isaiah uh, who had uh, lamented the situation of the temple. And uh, like, well, the temple was really the holiest place. And he finds it in this kind of upheaval because uh, so many merchants were there. We know that, uh, that, uh, that uh, Moses in, in Exodus had commanded the Israelites not to enter the temple empty-handed. So whenever they entered, they had to come in and they had to bring in some kind of victim to be sacrificed. And so to make this easier for people who had to travel from a distance, there was a veritable marketplace just outside the temple uh, in the courtyard. So it's not the temple itself, but like the courtyard where they would sell animals for all for sacrificial purposes. And that was good. I mean, that, that, that was necessary, right? But you can imagine with time, there were these stalls set up and people would go there really merely for commercial gain. And uh, they would sell these victims, these animals, and, 
and probably a lot of the priests themselves and the temple servants were getting a lot of money out of this. They were benefiting from this, the trade. And, uh, well, the, the place looked more like a place for livestock and probably smelled more like a place for livestock than for a meeting with God. And uh, the Lord went in there. Of course, he was always in contact with God. I mean, he was the second person of the Blessed Trinity. So, but he wanted to give an example. He really wanted to give an example. And he wanted it to really to be a place you know, of, of prayer, a place that was dignified. And, um, and of course, we know that God had, had commanded Moses to build a tabernacle. He had commanded Moses to do that. And there God dwelt with the Israelites in the desert. And they would pick up and move. But it, there was all kinds of instructions as to how that temple would be built. But it was still like a you know, movable temple. It was only later when uh, the Jewish people were established in Palestine that it was Solomon himself who, who, in obedience to divine instruction, built a more permanent temple in Jerusalem. And there there could be public worship and stuff. And, and, uh, and even St. Paul, later on, he went to Athens and he spoke to the Arapagus and there too, there were all kinds of shrines. Now, these were pagan shrines. There were altars, shrines, like the Parthenon, with sculptures and you know, painted and just incredible, right? With all, dedicated to all the different gods. And if it wasn't for Lord Elgin, we probably wouldn't have, have the Elgin marbles today because he took them down and, and now they're in the British Museum. So it gives you at least a glimpse of the grandeur of those, of those pagan temples. And yet there he goes, and, and Paul says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by men. Right? Like that was a pretty big slap in the face, because like these were insane shrines, right? But he said, you know, God, he's beyond this, right? And um, which, which is true, even when, when Solomon... Uh, established the temple and dedicated it, he said, Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain thee, how much less this house which I have built. So, on the one hand, God demands that there be a temple built, but at the same time, you know, he, God himself is way beyond the temple. Like, he, he created the universe, he created everything in the universe, so he, for himself, God doesn't need a temple. But we, we need a temple. That's what uh, St. Thomas Aquinas described. Is that, he said, God is not confined to a place. He doesn't need a temple on his account. But we are corporal beings, and we need a special temple to worship, to worship God, a, a special tabernacle. We need a holy place. He said, why? Because it instills in us a sense of reverence. And also, the, the way it is arranged and furnished signifies Christ's divine and human, human life. It is catechetical to, to who God is. So God doesn't need it, but we need it. And that's why, you know, when we go to any church, any oratory, it has to, it has to instill in us this sense of reverence, 
this sense of piety, this sense of awe. This is what our Lord is pointing at when He says, My house shall be a house of prayer. He could have said a house of piety, a sense of reverence, a place where this awe is instilled. And you sense this by the beautiful art that might be in there. Um, you know, it's, it's a place that has to be quiet, right? It's a, it's, it's a place that you have to stop and reflect. It's, a, it's, the, it's the place of transcendence. So what we want to do now in our prayer, precisely in a... In a it's, this is a holy place. This is a holy place. Of course, God is in nature. He's down the street. He's on the campus. He's in the frat house too. You know, he's there too. You know, <laughs> he's there too. But, but in a unique way, he's right here in that tabernacle, which is, as you can see, it's kind of like built like a temple, right? Like it's got, it's meant to look like a temple, right? And it's, it's very expensive. That tabernacle is like way expensive, right? And our founder didn't want cheap tabernacles made out of wood and just like look, look quote unquote nice. He wanted them like really nice to help us venerate and worship God who is in the Blessed Sacrament there. And he wanted the altars to be nice. He wanted the, the liturgy to really reflect that. So we could really say, my house shall be a house of prayer. And, and, when our, our Lord says this, and we have this in the other parallel passages, you know, he seems to, it looks like extraordinary, he might be exploding with anger and rage because he knocks over the money changers, you know, and, and throws out all this stuff. But he's completely in control. Like he's, he's, not, he's not experiencing road rage where, you know, you just <laughs> go nuts on the, on the guy that has just cut you off, you know. But, but uh, he, because he demands reverence, and respect for the temple of God, right? so that really be a holy place. And um, and so what we can ask that of ourselves as we examine ourselves, do I experience that sense of awe and reverence whenever I, I step in to the, to the oratory? In this case, we have the oratory here or any church. Right? That's why it's, if, you're, if you're here living in the, in, in the college, in Ernst of College, you know, and you're maybe you're worried about something. You're worried about an exam, or you're stressed, or anxiety begins to build up. Yeah. It's very good just to come in here and just come here and make a genuflection. Say, Lord, I trust you. I am stressed right now. You know, <laughs> like I'm freaking out with this midterm that's coming up. But I know you're here. Not that he's not there at the at the exam place or you know or in your room, but he's. Like, the real presence here helps you to get a deeper sense of reverence. And, you know, like I remember some years ago, I was in another center in Montreal called Riverview Center. And uh, it was an evening, a regular evening. It was like 8 o'clock or something, and doorbell rang. And I said, well, that's unusual. Okay, well, good, so I'll go. And this lady was there. This is like, I'm going to say like 20 years ago, but the, she was there with a clipboard and... Um, she said, I'm from Statistics Canada. I would like to ask you some questions. You're not obliged, but if I could, could you help me? I need to ask you some questions. It's for statistics. <laughs> so, so I said, well, yeah, sure, come on in. Yeah, you know, there wasn't too many people around the house. So, so she, we sat in the living room there, and she said, okay, I need to know how many, how many uh, 
uh, I think she said, uh, washers, you know, wa washing machines do you have here? And I said, I don't know, but I, I just, you know, guessed. And uh, so how many computers do you have here? How many of this, how many, how many, you know, people do you have living here? Like, you know, just to get a sense of whatever this, this was for statistics, right? And she asked me a number of other questions and stuff like that. And then, uh, so I, she said, okay, I've asked all the questions. Uh, I said, okay, uh, by the way, did you want to see our oratory? We have an oratory here. She says, oh, you have an oratory? Oh, okay, yeah, sure. So we opened the door. She entered the oratory, and it was somewhere like this. It was kind of like dark, and the Blessed Sacrament was, you know, the light was... And she just, like, dropped to her knees. You know, she was just... Uh, and she said, can I just pray here for a few minutes? Can I just... And she, she, well, she, she prayed on her knees. It was a blessed sacrament. It was a similar image of Our Lady and St. Joseph. And uh, clearly, it was for her a place of prayer, right? And, uh, I mean, it could have been the blessed sacrament, but, you know, with neon lights and, uh, you know, a cheap tabernacle and, uh, I don't know, like a, a plaster statue or something like that that would have, you know, a cheap reproduction and... Probably that would not have happened. I think, I think, you know. but um, but she was quite touched, and and I remember how the importance of you know a well decorated, well prepared chapel, you know? and um, it it should have an effect on us and how how we enter the chapel, how we enter the oratory. That God is really truly here, and um, you know Pope Benedict he had that that capacity always to refer. To the place that he was in when he was preaching a homily, you know, like like what you call, um, you know, location location identity, if you could call. And he, I don't know if you remember, but he, I think this was around 2007. He came to New York City, and uh, Cardinal Egan had invited him, and he spoke at St. Patrick's Basilica, which is just a beautiful basilica, and had gone through major renovations. And um, as he was there. He, he commented in particular on the beauty of the stained glass, which was creating this aura of light in this place that he was in, and the, and the light was streaming in through the stained glass. And of course, you could see the imagery on the stained glass. And he commented on that fact, that this was a beautiful basilica, made all the more more beautiful by that stained glass. And he said, from the outside, from the outside, those windows are dark heavy. They are dreary. But once one enters the church, they suddenly come alive, he said. Reflecting the light passing through them, they reveal all their splendor. Many writers here in America, we can think of, for example, Nathaniel Hawthorne, who was a convert, by the way, have used the image of stained glass to illustrate the mystery of the church herself. It is only from the inside, from the experience of faith and ecclesial life, that we see the church as she truly is. Flooded with grace, resplendent in beauty, adorned with manifold gifts of the Spirit. It follows that we who live the life of grace with the church's communion are called to draw all people into this mystery of light. And so, of course, that's being members of the church receiving communion, receiving the grace of the sacraments, confession, but the image of that is the actual physical building or the, or the chapel. Indeed, there are many stories of conversions that take place 
inside churches. I mean, you get conversions of people like St. Augustine, he was outside, he was in a garden, and, you know, he, but he heard the words of, of Christ to open the, uh, to open the, the New Testament, and that, that was the, the last straw to his conversion. But great stories like, um, like Ratisbon, you know, this, this fellow, Marie Alphonse Ratisbon in the 19th century, who was a, a Jewish atheist who was very anti-Catholic. And, uh, but he had a friend who was going to get married, and he was from Paris, but he, they, they traveled to Rome where this, his friend was going to get married. And his friend told him, look, I'm just, I have to do some last-minute arrangements in this church. Just wait out here, okay? And I'm just going to fix, I'm going to talk to the priest inside the, you know, inside the sacristy, and, and then I'll come out. Well, I'll just be a few minutes, okay? And so, Radisborn is waiting outside in this carriage in front of the famous uh, church of uh, San Andre in Bale, San Andre de la Frate, rather. And uh, as he's waiting, the guy's not coming out. So, so he just wanders in, curious to see. And there he sees this amazing image of our Blessed Mother. And he falls to his knees. And he wants to be baptized, you know. Just like, boom. Like this huge grace falls upon him. And, uh, and later he, he starts a, a congregation dedicated to Our Lady to help the Jewish people who want to convert. You know? And uh, his brother also converted, became a priest as well. And, um, and there are many other stories, if you know the story of André Frossard, who was an atheist and also um, was waiting for a, a, a friend outside a church. And he, he walked in to the church, and, and there he saw the Blessed Sacrament exposed. He had no idea what he was looking at, but he suddenly understood that he was looking at God and that God was looking at him. And he, he stepped out minutes later and he, he, he you know, recognized himself to be Holy Roman Catholic in the Holy Roman Catholic Church. And, and it, but it, it took place within the walls of, of a church. You all know the story of Scott Hahn, and this was not uh, centuries ago, this was, uh, this was in a you know, fairly modern suburban church where he finally made himself to go inside this church and, and discover the reality of the Mass as he sat in a back pew. So th- those are all experiences and that people have had. But essentially we know that the building is an image of ourselves as temples of the Holy Spirit. And, and we have to be houses of prayer. By that we mean we have to be in the state of grace. We have to be in the state of grace always. And we can ask our Lord now to give us that desire always to be in the state of grace. That is a place where our Lord resides. He resides in our heart in grace, in grace. And it's, it's amazing. We can, we can expel Him by, by sin. We can expel Him. We can, I don't want you in this temple, which I am. And perhaps one way that we can emphasize this is, is what St. Rosemary used to describe as, uh, as the good manners, the good manners of piety. To have truly that. He used to describe it like good manners, um, the, just the reverence with which we, we exercise reverence inside a, a chapel, or you know, just the way we, we do a genuflection. You know, we, could do, we could come in here and do a quick genuflection, you know, and just barely do it. This is from a point um, in the way 
he says, uh, piety has its own good manners. Learn them. It's a shame to see those, quote, pious people who don't know how to attend Mass, even though they go daily, nor how to bless themselves. They throw their hands about in the weirdest fashion, nor how to bend the knee before the tabernacle. Their ridiculous genuflections seem a mockery, nor how to bow their heads reverently before a picture of Our Lady. St. Josemaria, he, li- he liked that reverence, that care hmm, that he felt that we should all have. And uh, in those days, uh, well, the sort of expressions of, I guess you could call it um, liturgical piety, were, were expressed in a certain cultural way back then. There was the sort of Baroque, you know, Spanish readable that was overloaded with imagery and, and gold and and like it was like very dense imagery, but he liked more simple lines, um, clean. With he also liked uh, when he described the sweeping chasubles. Right? Um, in that, uh, in those times, what was popular was you know these guitar chasubles. But he liked the the broader ones. Uh, uh, there, there's another point uh, in the way uh, where he describes, uh, you know sort of watching somebody else uh, celebrate Mass. And, and for him, what he says at the end, he says, um, after that Mass, I knew you did not want to leave the oratory. I did, you know, because the experience of that piety was so, uh, was so deep for him. Right? And um, so naturally, our, our faith is not made up merely of external practices, and if it were only external practices, well, of course, it wouldn't have much point. You know? But our, our Lord, in fact, fights against that externalism in the gospel. You know? and, but there is no contradiction between uh, you know, religion of signs and the sacraments. You know? But they, they're, they're really uh, intimately related. Right? And um, we do have to, you know, we, we do say we are quote, practicing Catholics, right? Practicing. So it's interesting that we should use that expression that we are practicing. That means we do something because when you think of practice, you don't think of belief. You think, I I practice, I go to Mass, I do certain things. There are certain practices that I do. And so we have to have that, uh, also that... um, well, that that reverence, that the way in which we live that in our in our daily life, the way, for example, you get up in the morning, and what is the first thing you could do? Well, you can get out of bed immediately, get on your knees, and kiss the floor as a sign of reverence, thanking God for this new day. That is that is a practice. It's just a physical thing. You could just get out of bed and just do it in a normal way, but you know, it's a, it's an act. It's a, it's an act. It's a, it's a act of piety, and again, you know, like all these, all these acts of piety are are incomprehensible if we see the church from the outside, like that stained glass. You know, if you see the stained glass from the outside, it's just dark. It doesn't really seem seem to make much sense. I remember recently there was a sort of CBC program in the French CBC in Quebec, 
where they decided to interview this priest who happens to be a friend of mine who, who would use his days off to... He would go to the different um, stores around the cathedral, the, the shoe stores, and they would give him shoes that people had left behind. People had bought new shoes, and they would leave their old shoes behind, and they would pile them up. And he would take those old shoes. Many of them had really you know, poor soles. Uh, you know, the soles were really bad. And he had a, in the basement of the cathedral, he had a, like a workshop where he would fix those, those old shoes and he would give them to the homeless. He would put new soles on them and stuff like that and, and fix them up nicely, right? And so the idea that this program was, well, look at this priest, he's fixing up these, these uh, old shoes, tattered shoes, and he's giving them to the homeless, how wonderful. And, you know. and um, so they interview him and then they follow him as he goes into the basement. And in the basement... Of the, of the cathedral, there's all these, you know, altars and crucifixes, you know, they're all, it's like all in storage and stuff, and, and they're walking and they're following him with the camera like this as he's going towards his, uh, his kind of workshop. And I, was, I thought it was quite funny because as he was packing, passing, there was this rack with all these chasubles, you know, and uh, lined up, you know, red and green and white and purple and violet, you know, and then, you know, Copes and things like that, you know, for that they had left there, they're presumably to be used for other churches. And the journalist is going, sees all these, and he says, "Are these, Father? Are these your costumes that you use?" You know, and uh, <laughs> and the priest was just shook his head. He says, "Get out of your costumes! You know, priests don't wear costumes. You know, and uh, you know we wear we wear vestments. We wear we, we wear chasubles. You know." And uh, it's it's amazing it's, it's amazing that he this guy just had no clue you know I mean he just had no clue they were for him we were dressing up in costumes you know and uh, well you know if if your if your life is just a theater it's logical that you would think that it was just a costume party you know so uh, so let's see how we can um, you know underline the the reverence with which uh, the Lord wants us to be in his temple, you know, that we can really say that this oratory is a house of prayer. Yeah? But we can also extend it, you know, to, the, to our room, to where we study. It's, it's, it's a place of prayer. And that our Lord would not shoo us out. He would not, you know, overturn the study room tables and, you know, this place. This is, he would be happy with what he saw here, what he found here, because it would be a place of, of rectitude, a place of reverence, a place of, a place of love, a place of prayer, where we're really offering a true sacrifice to God. Because ultimately, the place in which our Lord resides is a heart in a state of grace. You know, that because we are temples of the Holy Spirit and we don't want to shoo Him away. Our Blessed Mother will help us to arrive at this reality that we can be men of prayer and that this can be truly the house of God. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.